0: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 29. And again, as I said, it's it's funny to see how God works sometimes. The message that I will be preaching this evening, with the Lord's help, has been in my mind for the past several months. We'll be reading one verse as our text and use it as a springboard to the thought. Proverbs, chapter number 29, verse number 18. You find your place if you would stand for the reading of God's word. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I want to speak for a few minutes this evening on the thought, how's your vision? Heavenly Father, as I come before your throne of grace, God, I thank you for this privilege to be able to stand behind this sacred desk, Lord, and present your word this evening. God, I ask that you would take me out of your way. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit. Your God, I pray. Lord, I ask you to speak to each and every heart. Make us less like ourselves and more like you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I will admit that tonight is a little bit strange for me. For one thing, I don't have my sorka. I think this is the first time I've ever preached in a church setting without it. It's in my wife's car in West Virginia. (laughs) But... With that said, this is also the first time in seven years that I have preached without my wife in attendance. And so it's very strange this evening. But I'm convinced that this is the message that God has. And I know that she's going to hear it again here in a couple, of three weeks. So, but how is your vision this evening? Every year, God lays it on my heart to pick out a theme for myself for the year. Something within my life, that I need to work on. And seven years ago, I picked out the theme for this year well in advance. 2020, clear vision. We as Christians, and especially as Baptists, it seems like we're afraid to talk about vision in our lives. It seems like the Charismatics and the Pentecostals have taken, stronghold, and copyrighted that word from our Bible. It seems like we shy away from wanting to speak about it because we're afraid that people may misunderstand what we are talking about when we say that the Lord has laid on our heart a vision. We fear that they think we're going to be talking about a 90-foot Jesus that appeared to us and gave us a new revelation. Sorry, Mr. Smith, it just don't work that way. We fear that perhaps they'll think that we went crazy, maybe had a little bit to drink last night or something, maybe had some bad pepperoni on our pizza before we went to sleep. And so we kind of just shy away and we say, well, we've got this plan instead. Perhaps it is that we'll say, I see some potential in this. Instead of saying, God's given me a vision for this. Perhaps another would say, I have this goal in my mind. Another may say, I have a long-term strategy. Instead of, I have a vision to accomplish this. You know, everyone has a vision for their lives. You think back to when you were children. You had a specific idea of how your mind was going to turn out, how your life would turn out. When I was eight, I thought I would be a firefighter. As I grew up, I thought I would be Batman. Obviously, neither is the case. (laughs) But we all have visions, even as adults. We have plans in place for our finances. As responsible adults, we take out life insurance policies that will incur with our debt. We put 401ks aside as we work. We put in savings accounts. We have a vision for our finances. We say, I want to be there. I'm not there yet, but 40 years down the road, 50 years down the road, when I retire, I want to have this much set aside. I have that vision for what I want to have. People have a vision for their career. Maybe it is they say, you know what? I want to climb the corporate ladder. I want to be the CEO of my company. Perhaps it is, they say, you know what, I don't want to necessarily be the CEO. I just want to be a manager. I want to go to school. I want to get my degree. And when I get out of school, I want to be able to be a manager in some stockholding corporation somewhere. They have a vision for their career. But why do people not have visions of more things than just that? Why do we not make more plans with our life than just that? We need more vision in our life as a Christian. As a child of God... There are certain areas of our life that we should hold ourselves accountable to have a vision and a plan for. The first that I find is that we should have a vision for our walk with God. It seems like so many people just sit back and they say, you know what? We're like the children of Israel. Moses, you go up, you talk to God for us, come back, tell us what he said. So many Christians sit back and they say, you know what, preacher, it's good for you to get up there stand there for about 45 minutes or so on a Sunday morning, tell us what God says, maybe spit on a couple of us, and then we'll all go home and all be happy. But they never take the time to open up God's word for themselves and see what it says, to see if the preacher may even be lying to them. I'm thankful for a pastor this evening, and he's not here so y'all don't have to worry about me trying to get money or anything like that, patting him on the back. But I'm grateful that we have a pastor that I can trust. There have been many men that I've met through the years. Some of them I could trust, some of them I couldn't. But the main reason that we should bring our Bibles to the word of, to the service isn't just so that we can hear it, it's so that we can make sure he's not standing here lying to us, telling us that the sky is orange like he was talking about this morning in his illustration. We need to have that daily close fellowship with God. We, we read the Lord's Prayer as we call it, I believe it's Luke 11. But give us this day our daily bread. That implies that we should have that daily fellowship with God. Be coming before him every day. asking, saying, Lord, I have this need today. Can you meet this? The Bible says that we are to pray without ceasing. What is our vision for our prayer life and our walk with God? For a lot of us, and I confess I've been guilty of this at times. Lord, we thank you for this food. We ask that you would bless it, help to nourish our bodies. Amen. And that's the extent of our prayer life. But do we have that vision to grow beyond that? Do we have a desire to truly meet with God in communion and prayer and to pray the righteous, the fervent and effectual prayer of a righteous man? That verse that says pray without ceasing, you read it and it comes to my mind the, I get the idea that at any moment, at the drop of a hat, we should be able to stop what we're doing and go to prayer. Something goes wrong instead of putting it off, trying to fix it ourselves just immediately say, Lord, Help me. This is going wrong. I can't fix it myself. Lord, help me find my keys. Whatever the situation is. We ought to be able to instantly just go to the Lord in prayer. Instead of making it our last resort, it should be our first response. Pray without ceasing also means to me that we should be praying so frequently that it becomes your second nature to us. That we ought to be able to just automatically, without second thought, say, Lord, I have this. As we're going through our day, Lord, I love you. Thank you for letting me pray at any time. Just letting it become that second nature to us. We are to pray without ceasing. Do we have that vision in our prayer life? But do we have our vision in our Bible reading? I mentioned it a moment ago. But reading God's Word is not just a chore. Or at least it shouldn't be. Many of us treat us as such. But God's Word says that it's a light into our feet and a lamp. Did I get that backwards? Lighten to my feet and then light into my (laughs) back. I had to think about that for a second. But it should be so natural to us that it just comes out in our everyday conversation. To where the people around us know to say, hey, you know what? That guy reads his Bible. He's all the time quoting it, whether he realizes it or not. He's always using verses. We'll say something and he'll use scripture to counter it. We should have God's word so close to our hearts. It should be so precious to us. That we lose track of the time that we spend in it. The Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. That the word of the Lord was precious in those days. That there was no open vision. God wasn't speaking to just anyone at that time. And so it meant something when God would speak to them. Oh that we would hold the word of God in that esteem. That they held it then. That we would count it so dear to us. That we just couldn't get enough of it. That we would desire it. Not only that, but do we have a vision for our worship? A lot of times the worship of God for the Christian extends only within the church house. And it breaks my heart because there's so much more to be held of it. There's nothing so sweet as worshiping God in private. One on one to be able to be in your home by yourself and lifting up the praises of an almighty God and feeling that simple closeness that comes with it. Not worshiping to impress God when you get asked to pray and you're standing there, oh Lord that has made the heavens and the earth that are from everlasting to everlasting. You give this big flowery prayer and spend 15 minutes describing the attributes of God. That's not true worship. Do we have a vision to move past it? Do we have that desire to walk with God, to worship him in spirit and in truth? Or are we content just to sit back and say, you know what, I've got it pretty good right now. I'll settle for the status quo. We ought to be worshiping because it's the natural reflection of our awe and gratitude to God. Not only should we have a vision of our walk with God, but number next, we should also have a vision of our purpose in life. As a movie once said, we're not here just to make money, get glory, and die. God placed us on this earth to have fellowship with us, but also to accomplish a goal. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number number 12, verse number 13, says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God, and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. God put us here to obey his word. What is God's will for our lives, though? He has a will for each and every person, and I've preached on that before. But he has this general will that he wants every person to follow, clearly stated in his word. He wants us, first of all, to get saved. Then he wants us to obey to have fellowship not only with him, but with other Christians. And I know Sunday evening y'all are here. Most of y'all are here on Wednesday nights as well. But God gave us the church so that we could strengthen and exhort one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day of the Lord is near. We're getting closer and closer to it. You look at the signs all around us. He's on the doorstep. The day is approaching. We need to be exhorting one another more and more as the day approaches. And God's given us this church to be able to meet together and say, you know what? I see the struggles that you're going through. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. To keep on keeping on. Do we have a vision for God's purpose in our life? He wants us to have that salvation, to obey him, to have the fellowship. But he also wants us to witness and to worship. And I've already covered that But in everything. Give thanks and to do all to the glory of God. But he also wants us to serve him however we possibly can. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Lord, here I am. Whatever you want of me, take me and use me. But he has a specific will for each and every individual as well. Not just the general will of, okay, I want you to read your Bible. I want you to go to church. But he has a specific will for my life. He called me to preach. He called me to play the piano. He gave me that ability. He called me to be the husband to my wife. And eventually to be the father to my son and daughters if i if god gives me he called me to be a mentor he gave an individual will for my life just the same as he has an individual will for your life but he won't show it to us the next step until we're already obeying what he's shown us until we're doing the general will he won't show us the individual will being in the way the lord led me that verse, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, gives you the idea of a small lantern, just enough light to take that next step. But until you go that next step, you're not going to see anymore. Remember next, we should have a vision of the pardon of our past. The Apostle Paul gives the whole long list of sins. He says fornicators, murderers. He gives that whole laundry list there. And he says, such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified through the blood of Christ. I fear that many times we have forgotten that such were some of you. We love to shout in church, and even so, we rightly should. We should be praising the Lord our God. But how many of us can truly think back to that day? How many of us still have that zeal and excitement that came to us as a newborn Christian when we said, hey, God, save me. Let me go out and tell everyone. I can't wait to tell my co-workers tomorrow morning that I got saved. Where is that excitement and that zeal anymore? I feel I fear that many of us have forgotten that feeling that we've forgotten, as the apostle Peter wrote, that we were purged from our old sins. Either we forget it and we turn back to it, as the book of Proverbs says, returning to it as a dog to his vomit. Going back to that filth that we were in before God saved us. Going back to the scrap heap where he lifted us up out of the miry clay. Sometimes we forget it by looking down on a new Christian. Been saved for 30, 40 years. And sitting there looking at a person that just got saved. Why is he smoking a cigarette? Shame on us. Sometimes we forget that we've been purged from our old sins because we think that we can't be tempted. Well, you know what? That was a problem for me when I first got saved. But let me tell you, I'm past that. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. And sometimes we forget it by leaving our first love. The book of Revelation, chapter number two, talks about that church of Ephesus. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. How many times, going back to that first point, how many times do we abandon our walk with God? How many times do we lose the zeal? Say, Lord, you know what? It doesn't really matter what you did for me. I'm just going to keep on living the way I want. Vision of the pardon of our past. Number next, we need to have a vision of the plight of sinners. And I know just about every time I preach, I mention this, and I'm not going to be the dead horse. But the psalmist said, "My foot had almost slipped." Then considered I therein. Many times as Christians, I I think that we get jealous of the world. You say, "But creature, why why would we be jealous?" We look around and we see how good they have it, and we look at the things that we have in this life and say, "You know what? I wish I could have that nice new car. I wish I could have the big six bedroom house." The mega mansion that's worth $2.5 million. But then consider that therein. This is the best that they're ever going to have it. A pastor I once had was fond of the statement, this is the closest to hell that a Christian will ever face. And this is the closest to heaven that a sinner will ever have. Consider therein. consider that one of these days, this is the best that they're ever going to have, and it'll be gone. It's but for a moment. Consider that they're running on borrowed time. Just as each and every one of us don't know how long we have in this life, neither do they. And by the way, we don't know how long they have either. Which is why it is imperative that we go and we warn them and tell them lest their blood be found on our hands to lift our eyes and look on the harvest on the fields which are white already harvested. Number next, Do we have a vision of the potential of our followers? And I'll be quite frank, this is where I was wanting to get to this evening. And I'm, Lord willing, going to spend a couple minutes here. Do we have a vision of those that are following in our footsteps? Each and every person is leading someone. Whether you realize it or not, someone is always watching you. Maybe for you kids, it might be your younger siblings. For us parents, it's obvious. You say you're not a parent, close enough. Most of you guys are here on Sunday morning. You know who I'm talking about. For those of us, it's obvious who's following us. For those of us that are in authority at work, it's obvious who's following us. But do you see beyond where they're at right now? Do you see beyond that diamond in the rug? And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm speaking mainly to parents this evening. But do you see beyond that? Do you see beyond the the rapscalliness of them, I guess, for lack of a better word, them getting out of control and see what they could become? A true leader, regardless of what area of life they're in, that they're leading, will be able to unlock the potential of their followers. They won't hold them down under their thumb say, you know what, it doesn't matter, you're not going to get past me. I'm going to keep you under my thumb. You're never going to be better than I am as long as I'm around. A leader succeeds when his followers succeed. A true leader will allow himself to be the footstool on which his followers raise themselves up rather than stepping on the backs of his followers to get a little bit higher on that corporate ladder, so to speak. Many times in the secular career, I've noticed that the ladder is the form of management. They'll say, hey, you know what? That guy's pretty good. I'm gonna I'm gonna use him to be able to get boost myself up. A true leader wouldn't do that. We say, you know what? We see what you're doing right now. And we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna let you walk over us a little bit. You're not gonna be able to get away with everything. There's gonna be punishment that comes. But we're gonna use that to teach you. Parents leading children is the most obvious example. And again. That's going to be what most of this message is for this evening. But how do we lead them? How are we teaching our kids? We teach them by example. Every little thing that we do, they see. It's been said, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little feet where you go. That song. For the father up above is looking down in love. But there's also the little eyes behind us watching from behind the curtain in the window. We're constantly being watched. They're going to see what we do. And everything that we do in moderation, our children do in excess. The same is true for the good as well as the evil. You spend investments in them, of course, money-wise investments, but also by praying for them. When was the last time your kids saw you pray for them? When was the last time you just walked up to them at a random time, put your arm around them and say, and started praying over out loud. When was the last time they knew that you cared enough about them to ask God to help them, to let them draw closer to you, to them, to him? When was the last time that you invested in them by spending time with them? John Adams, President of the United States, his great-grandson, was very fond of keeping a journal as an eight-year-old boy. He went on a fishing trip with his dad, and he wrote of that trip Went on a fishing trip with my dad, with my father today. Was the most glorious day of my life. His father was the one that had gotten him in the habit of keeping journals. Turned to the same day in the entry. Spent spent a day fishing with my son. A day wasted. It's never wasted to spend time with our kids. It's perhaps the best way that we're going to be able to prepare them for what the future holds. To be able to teach them Because I guarantee you, if they're in the public school system, they're not going to hear it there. I promise you, the government doesn't want them to learn the word of God. By showing them, we teach them by showing them our priorities. I mentioned a moment ago the phrase, what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. What is it that you do that they see you do? What priorities do they see that you hold? Do they see you get up? And dedicate time to the Lord? Spend some time, maybe it is, walking out on a path somewhere, praying? Do they see you reading God's word? Do they see you setting everything else aside when it's church time? And again, I know everyone's here this evening. I realize that. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. But I do want to encourage you this evening. Don't let something keep you from the house of God if it's at all possible. I know sometimes providential hindrances happen. But our kids are watching us. They say, hey, you know what? Mom and dad's letting me go to a sports game. They're letting me go to a baseball practice this evening instead of go to church. That must be more important because they let me do it every Wednesday. Uh Uh-oh. Do they see that anything is more important than church? Do they see, oh, you know what? I don't feel like going to church tonight. Sure, we haven't been for the past three Sundays, but it's okay. I just don't feel good. The Lord will let me off. He'll understand. He understands, all right. Do they see that family devotions can be put off? to Watch Criminal Minds on CBS. Yes, I realize that's once in that show. Just in case you're wondering. (laughs) But do they see where your priorities are? What do you want from them when they get older? Do you have a vision for their futures? God has a vision for their future. So does the devil. Do you have a vision for him? You, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 22, to train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. That is the verse that my parents used as justification to homeschool all the way through, second grade up, basically. Looking back, I didn't like it at the time. But looking back now, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because it was molding into the man that I am today. They had a vision for that future. You can't dictate what God's going to do with your child. You say, well, I want my child to grow up to be a preacher. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You say, well, I don't if, if I teach him to love the Lord, he might call them overseas to Africa or Zimbabwe or Guatemala or some other, insert, foreign country here. What if he does? If that's God's will for them, I promise you they won't be happy anywhere else. And it could be that they're going for another reason besides to serve the Lord if you don't. You can't dictate God's will for them, but you can prepare them for it. Are you praying for God to use them? I mentioned praying out loud for them, but how much in private time as well? Do we spend praying and asking God to mold them into the person that he wants them to be? Not only do we have the parents leading the children, but we have the fathers leading the household. I got kind of quiet I said, the father's leading the household, not the mom's. It's not your place. I love you ladies, but my wife more, obviously. But it is the husband's job. We are the ones that will stand and give an account to God for what happens in our home. A manager leading an employee. But also, and this one make strike you a little bit strange, but a soul winner leading a new convert. You say, but he just led him to the Lord. How How is he still leading him? The Great Commission is in three parts. So many times we place an emphasis on that first part. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And we stop. But the Great Commission doesn't stop. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I've been in churches where they were really good at the first two parts and they stopped. It doesn't stop there. Teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Great Commission is in three parts for a reason. It is the job of the soul winner to lead them to the Lord, to get them to church to be baptized, and then to teach them how to observe all things, to mentor them, if you will, and to teach them how to read the Word of God, teach them how to study it. And yes, I understand that the pastor preaches on that sometimes, and he should, but it's not just his job. It's whoever leads you to the Lord should be discipling you. And many times we fell in that regards. We're not just supposed to go out into the street somewhere, find someone and you're going to pray the prayer, you're going to get saved. Or else. I've known people that are like that. They can ring the sinner's prayer out of a mob man. I tell you what, it's amazing. But there's never any depth to that. That same person I'm thinking of, there was a teenage boy on my bus ride in Florida that admitted to me that he prayed the prayer just to get that guy to shut up and go away. How many false conferences that guy have? I wonder. It's not our job just to go and ring a prayer out of someone. We're to genuinely show them that if they do not accept Christ, they are bound for a devil's hell, and that all who sinned come short of the glory of God. But also, the older folks. Y'all are in a position of leadership as well. The book of Jeremiah, my pastor in West Virginia, was fond of this verse. I will get me unto the great men. He would always admonish us teenagers and young young adults. Say, you know what? You're walking past the best benefit in your life. Every time you go out that door, you're about knocking an old person over. When was the last time you guys stopped and said, you know what? Let me share a life lesson with you. Let me tell you about something that happened 20, 30 years ago. That the Lord used to change my life. For us young people, don't just sit there and smile and say that's nice. Take it to heart. <laughs> Please. The Bible says where there isn't a vision, the people perish. How is our vision this evening? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and this going to come to the piano. Do you have a vision for your life? Or are you just simply drifting through? Do you want more from your life? Or you can tell the status quo.